freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction. We didn't pass it on to our children in the bloodstream. The only way they can inherit the freedom we have known is if we fight for it, protect it, defend it, and then hand it to them with the well-taught lessons of how they in their lifetime must do the same. And if you and I don't do this, then you and I may well spend our sunset years telling our children and our children's children what it once was like in America when men were free. Welcome back to our number two of episode number 131 of Gun Freedom Radio, where we engage, we educate, and we inform. We are brought to you by azfirearms.com, your nationwide hometown gun shop. Well, we are doing something a little different today. We are doing the SDRN Sample Platter Show. So the SDRN, of course, is the Self-Defense Radio Network. And each week you hear us say that we're proud members of this network. And we encourage you to to find out more and check out all of the great content at SDRN.us. But what is the Self-Defense Radio Network? Well, it was founded in 2016 by the hosts of the two of the longest-running pro-gun podcasts as a way to bring together and help promote up-and-coming pro-freedom content creators. The day-to-day operations are overseen by the chairman and a selected board of directors, but member shows are selected based on quality and content with an emphasis on advancing the cause of liberty whether it's gun rights, civil, religious, liberty, or even politics. So our our next show is one that really gives you an example and an idea of how what a wide variety of shows we have at sdrn.us. Uh, this show is titled The Armed Lutheran. So if that doesn't automatically make you lean in a little bit and go, okay, this show's going to be different, right? This is not your average uh, gun podcast that I'm going to be listening to or gun radio show that I'm going to be listening to. Um, and the the host, Lloyd Bailey, is just an awesome guy. He's got a, a just razor edge sense of humor. Uh, just love him. I consider him a good friend. So our next sample on our sample platter does come from the Armed Lutheran Radio. Joined by an amazing group of contributors and special guests, the host, Lloyd Bailey, the Armed Lutheran, brings you discussions on faith, firearms, and freedom. He talks about guns and the shooting sports, self-defense, hunting, the Second Amendment, and gun rights from a uniquely, and I say unapologetically, Lutheran perspective. Listen now. You'll get a sample of the Armed Lutheran Radio. Welcome back to Armed Lutheran Radio. Time now for Clinging to God and Guns, where we dissect and debunk and destroy arguments that attempt to use Scripture to support a position in the gun rights debate. We're joined again by John Bennett, the pastor at St. John's Lutheran Church in Willow Creek, Minnesota. Pastor, welcome back. Thank you, Lloyd. Um, I think... Did you bring enough adult beverage for tonight's show? (laughs) (laughs) I hope so. Lord, I hope so. Well, as we mentioned uh, last week, um, 
In Oregon, there's this ballot initiative going on. It's IP43, which if passed would ban and confiscate so-called assault weapons and what they call high-capacity magazines. We talked about it last week. I talked about this with uh, Derek LeBlanc in a Facebook video a couple of weeks ago. Uh, The drive to get enough signatures to get this initiative on the ballot in November uh, in Oregon is being led by progressive clergy. And the biggest name among those is Reverend Mark Knutson, the pastor at Augustana Lutheran Church in Portland. Now, as we said last week, yes, as we said last week, (laughs) there is Lutheran and then there's Lutheran. Augustana is ELCA Lutheran, which means they barely qualify as Christian, much less Lutheran. (laughs) Right. And just to be fair... um, I would add that it, that's not the case for individual parishioners within the ELCA because yes. many of them don't really know the, the, what their church body really teaches and embraces and so forth. So, um, right. Yeah. Or they're stuck or they're, I've met people who are kind of, they feel like they're stuck in a church that because they grew up in it and that it's sort of left them behind in terms of values, but they can't, you know, they just can't bring themselves to go somewhere else. Their whole family and all their friends go there. And so they're, they're stuck. Well, this is, you know, this is the evangelical, the, the every liberal cause in America church, basically. Or even lesbians can absolve. (laughs) (laughs) That's perfect. Uh, Yep. Exactly right. If if you are still quote unquote stuck in the ELCA, maybe um, this will help unstick you because if you're a responsible law abiding gun owner, the ELCA doesn't like you. Yes, exactly right. Um, I mean, granted, again, it might it's not true for every pastor and every congregation, but it's true of the church body itself. Uh, pastor Knutson um, and a number of others started this. Um, uh, this campaign they call the Lift Every Voice campaign to ban assault weapons. And they announced the campaign back in March in the sanctuary at Augustana Lutheran Church with what they called an interfaith press conference. So what we would thought we would do today, um, and this might span a second episode if necessary, is uh, to take some of the things that were said in that press conference and dissect them. Obviously not all of it, because not all of it's quite frankly interesting or intelligent, but um, we thought we would uh, we would take them the more relevant parts and, and take them apart, dissect them for you. Yes, uh, we weed out the incoherent babble so that the listeners can enjoy the coherent babble. That's right. That's right. If that makes any and, sense whatsoever. <laughs> um, this video actually appears on YouTube in three parts. It totals about 40 minutes. We've culled it down to the most interesting and ridiculous stuff. So, to give you a little flavor of of what Pastor Knutson is about and what kind of church Augustana is, here is Pastor Knutson with our first clip, kicking things off with an introduction. Welcome to Augustana Lutheran Church. We're a thriving, multicultural, multinational, multigenerational congregation called by God to work closely with our sisters and brothers, Muslim and Jew, Hindu and Buddhist, Native American, Sikh, spiritual leaders, other people of faith and people of just goodwill to weave the love of the community. We all have life and you're welcome for who God made you to be where justice and peace kiss, and where we work for generations to come to keep the earth renewed and thriving. Where justice and peace kiss. Yeah. (laughs) Um, This sounds like lesbian porno, actually. (laughs) 
<laughs> Sorry. Those can easily be mistaken for stripper names. That is true. (laughs) Welcome for who God made you to be. Yes, Um, and we are called to work with all these other non-Christian entities. What was missing in all of that? Any mention of Christ? (laughs) Right, exactly. Um, And you won't find him in any of the rest of this either. (laughs) Christians are called to proclaim the gospel to the lost. They're not called to work with people of different faiths that reject Christ as the incarnate Son of God. (laughs) But he says that we're called with all these other faiths to work together for social justice so that justice and peace can get it on with each other. I'm sorry, I gotta have fun with this one, otherwise I don't know if I'll survive it. <laughs> well, that's what I was hoping we'd do. Because uh, yeah, he says that that we welcome you for who God made you to be. Problem with this, he's basically saying that God accepts you as you are, regardless of your faith or your sin. Or your sin. And you know, this is a perfect example of how the ELCA has become a borderline Unitarian Universalist church body. Um, and I, you used to be able to find this quote on the ELCA's website in their questions about God and salvation and so forth. Um, this is a direct quote uh, by Carl Broughton, who is one of the foremost theologians in the ELCA. And this is what he says, Because Jesus is the unique and universal Savior, There is a large hope for salvation, not only for me and others with the proper credentials of believing and belonging to the church, but for all people, whenever and wherever they might have lived, and no matter how religious or irreligious they may have proved to be themselves. There you have it. That's the teaching of the ELCA regarding salvation. So no matter how religious or irreligious you are. Yes, and regardless of what you have believed that there is a large hope of salvation for those folks. But, you know, here's what Jesus says. Maybe we should pay attention to what Jesus says. Um, That'd be a novel idea. Yeah, go figure. Um, <laughs> Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So those, those words, no one and except, they make it, you know, pretty absolute. And in case someone was tempted to uniquely and creativ- creatively interpret the uh, through me there to mean that you know Jesus just says everybody by himself. Um, Jesus also says in Mark 16, verse 16, he who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. So doesn't matter mm-hmm. what some liberal goofball ELCA theologian says. Uh, it's about what Jesus says. Exactly. Well, next we have, uh, they, they turn it over to Reverend Matt Hennessy. I'm not sure what the reverend's um, association is, or what his uh, where, what church he represents. He is the opening prayer for this shindig, and listen to how he opens this prayer and what he prays for. Eternal Spirit, we come as brothers and sisters tonight. It is our prayer tonight that the power of your Spirit will guide us as people to remember that life is precious, and we must do everything possible to make sure that assault weapons are used properly and that the lives of people on the street, in the schools, in a shopping mall, they should not have to worry 
that somehow they will lose their life because somebody has an assault weapon which they should not have and should not use. And we pray tonight that our voices will be heard. And so as we pray here, as we assemble here, we are doing so recognizing the importance of what this all means, not just here, but in Parkland, Florida, certainly what it has meant in Sandy Hook, what it has meant in Columbine, what it has meant at Reynolds High School, what it's meant in Springfield, and what it has meant in so many places across this nation. We say together, never again. Amen. Lord, have mercy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Just praying to some eternal spirit. Well, N- you know, I, I got to thank him, though, because, you know, since he's praying for a bunch of political BS, at least he didn't pray in Jesus' name. Yeah, thank goodness for that. <laughs> Good point. <laughs> So you can clearly see that uh, Lloyd Bailey, the armed Lutheran, he doesn't pull any punches. And, you know, there's a lot of people out there in the the Christian communities, the, the religious communities that feel that self-protection and firearms is somehow going against biblical principles. And um, that's not something I personally believe as a Christian. And I can guarantee you Lloyd Bailey and his guests don't believe that either. Um, so the, the host is Lloyd Bailey. His contributors are a variety of different people who come from different um, expert areas of expertise. There's Sergeant Bill Silva, Pastor John Bennett, Aaron Israel, and Mia Ann Stein. It is an interview-based show. Dan and I have been on there. He kind of went back through time with us and, you know, kind of asked us, how did how did we start our businesses, uh, azfirearms.com and Pot of Gold Estate Auctions? Um, how did we end up being radio hosts? And that was a pretty fun show. It was He's a great interviewer. So his sh- new shows post weekly on Sunday evenings, and he has a one-hour show. I highly encourage you to check it out if you're looking for something very different from any other uh, firearms show or podcast. Well, stick around. We still have lots coming up. When we come back, we'll be hearing a clip from American Guns podcast with Matthew Disher right after this. Ladies, Cheryl Todd here from azfirearms.com. Many of us ladies are taking the important step of becoming responsibly armed, but it can be an intimidating process. And with all the politics swirling, a first-time gun buyer, whether a guy or a lady, might feel uncertain about where to begin and who to trust. At azfirearms.com, we are a small, friendly, family-owned shop that specializes in first-time gun buyers. We are staffed with knowledgeable people who are ready to help answer all of your questions. My husband, Dan and I pride ourselves on having a safe, no-pressure environment. Once you have decided on a purchase, azfirearms.com partners with professional firearms instructors who will train you to become a responsible, safe, prepared, and proficient gun owner. So ladies and gents, when you are looking for personalized service and a huge selection, come to azfirearms.com in Old Town Avondale off the I-10 and Dysart Road or visit us on the web at azfirearms.com. 
Hey everybody, this is Joey Rocket Shoes Dylan, world champion gunslinger and Hollywood gun coach. In the Westerns, there's always a good guy and a bad guy, and sometimes the ugly guy. And I always root for the good guy, which is why I'm here to tell you about the good folks over at azfirearms.com. They are straight shooters and always give you the best deal in town. azfirearms.com is the biggest little gun shop in Arizona and have something for every single gun enthusiast. Long guns, pistols, hunting, military, law enforcement, home protection, you name it. And when you've got some guns to sell or trade in and trade up, azfirearms.com are the folks to see. Geez, they bought a cannon once. They are family owned and operated, friendly staff, courteous, totally reliable. azfirearms.com will give you the best value for your used guns. So stop in, see my friends Dan and Cheryl Todd at azfirearms.com in Old Town Avondale off the I-10 and Dysart Road and tell them Joey Rocket Shoes Dylan sent you. Thanks for sticking around. You are with Gun Freedom Radio, where we engage, we educate, and we inform. We are brought to you by azfirearms.com, your nationwide hometown gun shop. Well, we are doing our sample platter show today, and we're featuring shows from the Self-Defense Radio Network the sdrn.us. And our next show is the American Guns podcast with Matthew Disher. In his own words, the American Guns podcast aims to revolutionize the gun radio world. He says, are you ever sick of listening to some guy talk for two hours every week about what he did at the range or spend 30 minutes straight talking about how he hates the uh, 300 AAC blackout ammo? (laughs) He says, yeah, I do too. That's why my show aims to be different. We bring you a variety of content and every week is a bit different. One week we might do a court case. The next we might do our signature, a tale of idiocy segment. Uh, If you're looking for firearm entertainment, check out American Guns with Matthew Disher, who uh, you will find in our in our clip and in the shows uh, that when you go check him out yourself at SDRN.us. He is a passionate host who is not afraid to tackle the political tensions between left and right. Listen now. Here's a clip from the American Guns podcast with Matthew Disher. You're listening to the American Guns Podcast, part of the Self-Defense Radio Network. Vic Ferrari is a retired 20-year veteran of the New York City Police Department. A Bronx resident for over 40 years, he now splits his time between sunny Florida and his timeshare in North Korea. He lives with his Irish wolfhound puppy, Dougal, who follows him everywhere, including the bathroom. He enjoys writing, cooking, and managing a co-ed softball team filled with unhappy, complaining miscreants. This past summer, he fulfilled his childhood dream of throwing out the first pitch of a minor league baseball game under an assumed name. Vic himself joins us now. Welcome, Vic. Hi, Matthew. How are you? Good, good, good. So that's uh, that's quite the intro. <laughs> so um, I'm assuming this is uh, this is one of your months in Florida since you have internet access and you sound pretty well nourished. 
Yeah, I'm doing all right. Yeah. So, uh, so what else can you tell us about yourself? Help us to get to know you a little better. Um, I'm a Bronx kid. Uh, I always wanted to be a police officer and a detective and, um, fulfilled my dream. I retired after 20 years and then I said, well, where do I want to live? And I thought about New Jersey, but Jersey takes 6% of my pension. I said, no, don't like Jersey that much. (laughs) So I had some friends that I grew up with. Um, we're a lot smarter than I and we're engineers and had moved down here many years ago. So I followed them down and I absolutely love it down here in Florida. Yeah. So like you said, you were an officer in the NYPD for 20 years. So what kind of got you going down that career path? I know that you said that that's something that you've always wanted to do, but is there anything else that you were kind of deciding between? No. And that, that, crushed my parents. When I was a little boy, my grandfather had broke, I mean, I was six maybe, my grandfather had broken his leg shoveling snow in front of the house. And the police came to take him to the hospital. And I just was, you know, they were these two big guys, larger than life, picked my grandfather off the couch and took him to the hospital. And I said, wow, who are these guys? What do they eat? What do they do? Do they have superpowers? Yeah. So um, I always wanted to be a police officer. And um, I went to Catholic high school. I had a good education and I had good grades. And my parents, they didn't go to college, but they wanted me to go to college. And they tried everything to get me to go to college. And I did everything in my power I could to drag my feet. I wanted Mm -hmm. to be a police officer. So um, it worked out, you know, but um, I think that was a disappointment. They were happy that I became a police officer. but They're always, why didn't you, you know, why didn't you at least give something else a chance? But I knew at a very early age what I wanted to do in life. Yeah. And I feel like there's a lot of that today. I feel like there's a lot of pressure to, to go to college. And I feel like it's, it's unfortunate in some ways because you'll have a lot of these kids graduate high school, go to college, pay for a super expensive degree that they can't afford. And then at that point, it's it's kind of too late to, to go back. You know, you can't be like, well, I'll go to college and see, but I want to come back and be a police officer. At that point, you know, it can sometimes be too late. And that's really, really unfortunate if that's something that you're passionate about. Um, no, you're right. Yeah. So uh, how was the job when you got out compared to when you got in? So you were in for 20 years. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've heard from a lot of cops that that police work has changed in a lot of ways over the years. So is there anything that you can tell us about that? Oh, yeah. When I got hired, I got hired in the mid 80s and New York City was the Wild West. I mean, mm-hmm. anything went. I mean, it. people don't believe me, but I mean, I remember, you know, you driving in Hunts Point or certain sections of the Bronx and there'd be a crack line guys getting online to go into a building. And I mean, there'd be, you know, guys in the street like carnival barkers, heroin over here, crack over here. <laughs> and I mean, it was like the Wild West. And they really didn't want us making drug arrests. The department will deny it, but they didn't want us making dr- street cops making drug arrests. I mean, I can remember walking into the station house, you know, with a guy with a couple of vials of crack or glassines of heroin, and the desk officer would say, do me a favor, don't ever bring in this nonsense again. So your options were you could make that arrest again and he put you in a foot post in the middle of nowhere in the snow or you do you did what you were told. So crime mm-hmm. was through the roof and then probably I'm guessing 92, 93, that's when Rudy Giuliani, you know, was elected mayor and mm-hmm. Giuliani basically 
went in with a whole new crime strategy and basically took the handcuffs off the cops and said, I don't mind paying you guys overtime, make the arrests. And they started making quality of, you know, life arrests and it drove crime down. And then, you know, New York became a fun place to visit again. And, you know, time, I mean, Times Square, <laughs> Times Square was all sex shops and peep shows. And I mean, you could buy mm-hmm. anything or anybody down there. But after Giuliani, what happened? The price of real estate went up. Disney went in there and put in a store. All the big flagship stores for, you know, major retailers went down there. And, you know, basically it was a renaissance of New York City. Yeah. Yeah. So being an officer, you got to see, uh, I mean, a lot of things over the years. I can imagine some normal and some not so normal. So you decided to write a book and it's titled NYPD Through the Looking Glass. So tell us about that. It's it's a it's a it. It's a memoir of my 20-year career, but the funnier side about the NYPD. I, mm-hmm. I didn't want to write something too dark or too serious. It's it's about the characters I've encountered, cops and civilians, um, just funny stories and things that go on behind the curtain at the NYPD that a lot of people don't know about that would you know surprise you. Yeah. I wanted to keep it lighthearted. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And it's, I mean, it sounds hilarious, so... I'd like to ask you about any gun-related stories that you have, but let's go to a quick commercial break first, and then we will come back and do that. So we are talking to Vic Ferrari, author of NYPD Through the Looking Glass. And we're back. So, Vic, do you have any good uh, gun-related stories for us? Oh, plenty. Um, I have a chapter in there called Guns, Guns, and More Guns. Mm -hmm. And basically it starts off with when you're an NYPD uh, trainee recruit in the police academy, I mean, if there's one thing the NYPD does is it takes firearms training safety and, and, and to safeguard your gun safely. And I mean, through your six months in the academy, you are threatened and told, you know, about getting into bad shootings, about not safeguarding your weapon. I mean, mm-hmm. they drum that into your head. But inevitably, you will, out of a 35,000 man police department, you're always going to get a couple of clowns that get through. Yeah, And uh, I, I give you, like you were asking, you want funny gun stories. There was a guy that um, he safeguarded his, he wanted to go out one night and he safeguarded his five shot 38 in the one place he thought no burglar would look, his oven. <laughs> okay. So four hours and nine beers later, he comes home with a buzz right. and decides he's going to make himself a little snack. So he preheats the oven to 350 or whatever he does, goes into the next room, starts watching television. And then, you know, within about five, ten minutes, his stove starts shooting at him through the next room. <laughs> the rounds start going off on the stove. So the guy runs out of the house and has to call 911 on himself. That there's shots fired going on in his house because he left his, his thirty eight inside his oven. <laughs> wow, that is a crazy story. <laughs> you want more? I would love more, especially if it's going to be stories like that one. All right. So when you're in the police academy, you go to firearms training out in the Bronx. It's in the middle of nowhere. It's next to an old toxic waste dump. It's called Rodman's Neck. So you go out to this compound, and it kind of looks like something out of MASH. There's old trailers out there, and you go out there, and you you do your target practice. They teach you how to clean your gun and everything. So the first day, I mean, again, they give us the threatening speech, don't touch that gun unless we tell you to touch it. So we went and we shot. We come back into the trailer and they tell us again, don't leave your gun in your holster. And we don't want any dry firing, which means take, you know, 
click pulling the trigger on a 38 you'll hear click 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 because there's no rounds in it right so these guys i mean they're going through the trail and one by one they're taking a gun out of a holster they're inspecting it they're putting it in the table in front of us and telling us not to touch it in the back of the room you hear click 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 it's like something out of a movie. These guys knocked the crap out of this guy. Thrown <laughs> to the floor. <laughs> I'm like, what are you freaking crazy? So they dragged him out, and he was given a long talking to. But what had happened was, and we didn't realize, the class before us, you had a couple of idiots that on Gun and Shield Day went down to the FDR Drive and shot a couple of pigeons under the FDR Drive. So we were given like the fire and brimstone speech of not touching your gun unless instructed to. So yeah. I get assigned to a precinct in the Bronx, and my first year there, two guys in the Bronx courthouse on separate occasions shot themselves in the thigh, cocking their guns inside their holster. <laughs> so they're screwing around, and they cocks the gun in his holster and then can't figure out how to uncock it while it's still in the holster, and both guys blew holes in their thighs. <laughs> if this is two separate occasions two separate occasions same precinct it was almost like a virus that was that hit the bronx hi i'm matt disher host of the american guns podcast i want to thank you for listening to this brief segment of my show and if you like what you've heard and you want to hear some more of this awesome content feel free to check us out at americangunspodcast.com so that was American Guns Podcast with Matthew Disher. You can find more like that at sdrn.us, uh, the Self-Defense Radio Network. He has new shows posted weekly on Thursdays. It is a one-hour show. And I, you, the samples that you're hearing today of all these different shows are just the tiniest sliver of what you can find there uh, you can't come away from any of the shows on there and not have learned something new. Uh, everyone comes at uh, the, the firearms uh, issues, the politics of it, the, um, you know, the, the learning of it, the fun of it from different angles. And I think that that's what gives us such a rich uh, quilt work um, in the industry and as well as on Self-Defense Radio Network. Well, stick around. We still have Tactical Pay Radio with Brett Grayson waiting just around the corner after these messages. Hi, folks. I'm Don Kai. If you're looking for the biggest little gun shop in the West, look to azfirearms.com. They have 1,100 guns in stock and a knowledgeable staff to help you find just the right firearm for you. azfirearms.com is my nationwide hometown gun shop, and you should make it yours, too. Come in for AZ Firearms' huge gun-buying event, taking place now until the end of the month. From single items to entire collections, AZ Firearms pays you the highest value for guns. Long guns, handguns, military, western, even your old brass and ammo. We buy it all. Find us online at azfirearms.com or visit us off the I-10 at Dysart Road at 215 East Western Avenue in historic downtown Avondale. Don't miss the AZ Firearms huge gun buying event. Now through the end of the month at azfirearms.com. Come listen to the Self-Defense Gun Stories podcast. Hear about armed civilians protecting people they love. Were they lucky or were they prepared? 
Come listen and learn at selfdefensegunstories.com. Thanks for sticking around. You are with Gun Freedom Radio, where we engage, we educate, and we inform. We are brought to you by azfirearms.com, your nationwide hometown gun shop. Well, today we are doing something different. We're playing you clips from a variety of different shows that are found on the Self-Defense Radio Network. We're calling it our Sample Platter Show, the SDRN Sample Platter Show. And if you've missed any of the clips we've played thus far, be sure to go to our website, gunfreedomradio.com, click the On Demand tab, and you can binge listen to your heart's content to all 130 other episodes we have posted there. And when you want to put a face with a voice, click the guest tab and you can see photos of every guest we've ever had on. There's a bio for each one. There are links to the works that they've done. It's just a tremendous resource. And, you know, we don't hate it when you spend some time there. So we are now going to hear a clip from Tactical Pay Radio with the host, Brett Grayson. Tactical Pay Radio is all about covering the fun, fascinating side of the firearms industry for firearms professionals and hobbyists alike. On this podcast, you'll hear stories directly from the folks who make our industry tick, featuring interviews with gun store operators, entrepreneurs, gun bloggers, retailers, gun rights advocates, and all of the awesome people who make up our community. From handgun shooting to hog hunting, from accounting to AR-15s, shotguns, rifles, accessories, concealed carry, trade shows, gun rights, sales trends, and more. If it's in our industry, these guys on Tactical Pay Radio with Brett Grayson are going to talk about it. Strap in for another exciting episode of Tactical Pay Radio, a weekly show where we interview firearms industry professionals and experts, from gun manufacturers to world-class competition shooters, from Second Amendment advocates to marketing gurus. If it impacts firearms or the firearms industry, we cover it with in-depth interviews here on Tactical Pay Radio. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Tactical Pay Radio. I'm your host, Brett Grayson, and this is the podcast where we talk to professionals in the firearms industry. We have another great show for you today. Joining me is Dave Hardy. Dave's been practicing law for over 40 years, including 10 years with the U.S. Department of the Interior. He's also written numerous articles for legal journals and five different books, including the bestseller, Michael Moore is a Big Fat Stupid White Man. His most recent book is I'm from the Government and I'm Here to Kill You, The True Human Cost of Official Negligence. And Dave also runs the website armsinthelaw.com, where his posts focus largely on the First, Second, and Fourteenth Amendment. Dave, thanks for coming on the show. Oh, I'm happy to be here. So how do you come up with the titles? Is that you, or is that your publisher? Who comes up with those? It depends. On the Michael Moore book, the publisher came up with it and said it was non-negotiable. They were his first publisher and hated his guts afterward. Um, (laughs) on the, I'm from the government, I'm here to kill you. That was my own invention and uh, the publisher liked it. It's a great play on the, I'm from the government and I'm here to help you. 
Yes. Well, excellent. And I've read your posts, and so I know that you went to the NRA convention. Can you give us a highlight from your visit? Well, I, I had to spend most of my day in a legal seminar the first day that I was there. And then Friday, I got to wander around the exhibit hall some, and um, also Saturday. Uh, there were, of course, a whole bunch of new firearms out. I was interested in particular finding a, a pocket gun, but my fingers don't really accommodate them too well. So I experimented with several and in the end concluded that I was going to have to learn how to pull the trigger slightly differently if I was going to function. My finger tends to bind against the trigger guard at the end of the pull. Uh, they all have small trigger guards and I have large fingers. Well, if you couldn't find the right gun at the NRA convention, I'm not sure where else I can recommend you go. I'm, yeah, I'm hosed. But yeah, there was that and um, you know, meeting old friends and all of that sort of thing. It was uh, really wonderful. Excellent. So overall, a positive experience. And I've talked to a few other people that have gone and they said that this most recent convention was one of their better ones and the future looks bright for the NRA. And, and is that your impression as well? Yes, I'm told it was a record attendance, I think 87,000 people. If you can imagine 87,000 people visiting one exhibit hall, it was a little crowded. But it went very well. There were supposedly protesters. Uh, from the entrance of the exhibit hall, you could see exactly two of them. Oh, okay. There were somewhere around 100 that were a quarter mile. You often see that, yes. <laughs> okay, well, can you tell us what is your next project going to be? Well, right now I'm working on a book on the Dred Scott decision, 1857. Sure. And uh, it was a setup job, I tell you, a setup job. <laughs> what good are conspiracy theories unless they're about people who died 150 years ago? That's what I say. Anybody can have a conspiracy theory about people now alive. Well, you're a Civil War buff, so I can see you're going back in time to into the run-up. Yes. Some say it's the decision that made Abraham Lincoln president, and it played a big role. It damaged his campaign a little. Without realizing it, it smashed Stephen Douglas's campaign. So it killed his opponent off, and he wound up 1860 election with four candidates running, splitting the vote, so that Lincoln became president with only 40% of the popular vote. And Douglas, his chief rival, only carried one state and a few electoral votes from New Jersey. I mean, the guy had been a prominent candidate, and now... You know, 1860, all of a sudden, his campaign collapses. Wow. And Dred Scott had a lot to do with that. Now, if you happen to find a memo that Dred Scott was seen nine days out of state yes. prior to the Dred Scott case. Now. <laughs> well, I have found a memo, more than one memo, that Dred Scott, his attorney, sued a man who had no claim to being his slave owner. Mm. John Sanford, who was so little connected with the case, the Supreme Court misspelled his last name. Oh, my God. They spelled it Sandford with two Ds. He spelled it Sandford with one. He was a prominent New York City businessman. He was one of the five or ten richest people in New York City. He had no interest in an elderly slave in St. Louis. The reason they put him into the case was they didn't want anyone to know the person who should have been sued, who did have a claim to ownership, which was Sanford's sister, Irene Chafee. And she didn't want her name in the papers because... She'd married a prominent abolitionist congressman. This is another example of a small-scale conspiracy with major implications. Yeah, like the Civil War and the 13th, 14th, and 15th <laughs> Amendments, yes. 
President Buchanan lobbied the Supreme Court in writing, trying to get them to come down with the decision that they did. They were thinking about ducking the entire issue with a narrow decision. He lobbied two of the justices in writing to make it a broad decision. Well, he got his wish. Didn't turn out the way he wanted. When you look at the Supreme Court decision in the Dred Scott case, do you feel like they got it right in the sense that they accurately interpreted the law? Or do you feel like it was a terrible disaster and totally avoidable? If they had interpreted the spirit of the Bill of Rights, then they would not have to come down with the decision they did. Yeah, I think they could have ducked the issue or come down with a better decision. The main opinion was written by Chief Justice Taney of Maryland, and he originally was almost an abolitionist. He freed his own slaves. He said uh, strong things against slavery, that it was a crime against human nature. Then later in his years, he hardened up and became pro-slavery. And he may not have been quite in his right head when he had the decision come down because within two years before, his wife and his daughter had died one day apart. Oh, wow. And part of it was his own fault. He told the daughter to come south for vacation instead of going north. And when she reported there was rumors of a yellow fever outbreak down there, He said, nonsense, that's just part of the northern bigotry against us. It regards us as inferior people and disease-ridden, all that. Come on down there. Well, she came down there and died of yellow fever. Oh, wow. So it's quite possible, essentially, he was in a uh, not in the best emotional state when he wrote that opinion. Well, this could be the start of a series for you. You could start the, uh, I'm from the government and I'm here to enslave you. And then you're like, oh, Bill O'Reilly, you've got, and he's got the killing so-and-so. You've got the, I'm from the government and then I'm here to you know, commit some horrible atrocity. (laughs) Or killing Dred Scott, yes. (laughs) He did die like a year after the case and so did John Sanford. Oh, wow. That next project sounds great and I can't wait for it. But we're at the part of the podcast now where I ask you some rapid-fire questions. So the questions come quick, but feel free to take your time on the answers. Here we go. What's the most important amendment, in your opinion? The 14th. 14th. Does any TV show or movie accurately depict lawyers? I've never seen one. If there was a, a Mount Rushmore for attorneys general, can you tell me one person that would be on it? No. Uh, I was thinking about that one too and I was thinking he's probably going to say and then my mind went blank because it's an impossible job and the kind of person that you need for that position it's a certain type of person yeah oh certainly okay term limits for Congress House of Representatives and the Senate yay or nay to term limits yay term limits so to speak for Supreme Court justices yay or nay yay oh wow okay get some new blood in there you don't think 90-year-olds are the most qualified to adjudicate <laughs> on internet-related cases? <laughs> no, no. Okay. And uh, you're a Civil War buff. What should be done with statues of Confederate generals in public locations? I mean, it's a part of history, even if uh, some people fought on the wrong side. My ancestors fought in the 49th Illinois Infantry, so we don't necessarily take a, a good view of secession, but uh, leave the statues up for Pete's sake. Get outraged over something else. 
Absolutely. And at the very least, defacing them doesn't help. Two wrongs don't make a right. But you try using that logic with a, a hooded protester, or a masked protester, I should say. Okay, last rapid-fire question is, Arizona Wildcats or Arizona State Sun Devils? I'm not much of a sports fan, but the Wildcats. <laughs> okay, great. All right, well, thank you so much for your time. Do you have any uh, social media accounts that you care to mention? I've got my blog, uh, com. I have a Facebook page, but it's pretty much insignificant. I do have a page devoted to the book, my most recent book, and the updates to it. That's fromthegovernment.com. Fromthegovernment.com and armsinthelaw.com. Those are the two websites to, to find your latest? Yep. Excellent. All right, well, Dave Hardy, thank you so much for coming on the show. Oh, sure. Have a good day. You too. Thank you. So that concludes our guest interview for this week. So that was our clip, just a sliver, just a tiny little taste on our sample platter show of Tactical Pay Radio with host Brett Grayson. He does uh, a weekly one-hour format show, and it is an interview style, so you'll get to hear something different, someone different every single week. I encourage you to go to sdrn.us and and check out more of his and all the other shows that you will find there. Well, stick around because we still have what is normally our Responsibly Armed Citizen Report. But this week, I'm leaving it in the hands of our friend Rob Morse and his Self-Defense Gun Stories podcast. Stick around. Come listen to the Self-Defense Gun Stories podcast. Hear about armed civilians protecting people they love. Were they lucky or were they prepared? Come listen and learn at selfdefensegunstories.com. Welcome back to Gun Freedom Radio, where we engage, we educate, and we inform. We are brought to you by azfirearms.com, your nationwide hometown gun shop. And this is the part of the show that I just love because we get to celebrate the everyday, ordinary heroes who are out there saving lives because they are responsibly armed citizens. Fights a never-ending battle for truth, justice, and the American way. Responsibly armed citizens use guns two and a half million times a year for self-defense. And 200,000 times a year, a woman prevents a sexual assault because she was armed. Somehow, we never hear these stories on the network news, so we are proud to bring them to you here on Gun Freedom Radio. Well, normally, this is where I set up a responsibly armed citizen report, but today... I'm going to leave it in the very capable hands of Rob Morse with his Self-Defense Gun Stories podcast because this is our SDRN sample platter show. So Rob Morse's Self-Defense Gun Stories podcast brings you recent examples of armed citizens protecting themselves and those they love. Then experienced firearms instructors come on and comment on the recent events. 
and they help kind of break things down and give us a play-by-play on on what they saw happen well, what they might have done differently, uh, or the person in the clip, had they had more experience or more training. Um, It's just a very interesting show that you are going to learn a lot from. And Rob brings together experts from their field to teach us in that step-by-step, play-by-play way of talking about the elements of real-life DGUs, which are defensive gun use Instance incidents. Listen now, the Self Defense Gun Stories podcast. Welcome to Self Defense Gun Stories. This podcast is for people who are thinking about getting a firearm for self defense, and for those of you who already have one. I'm your host, Rob Morse. We have self defense instructor Elizabeth Houtman with us as co host. Please explain to our new listeners what they should expect from us today. We're going to look at several news stories about armed defense. These gun owners survived a life-threatening situation, but were they lucky or smart, or did they have a plan? What should we do if we were in their place, and how would we learn those new skills? Our first story took place last week in Elmira, New York. Do you have a gun nearby when your family's waking up early in the morning? It's Sunday morning, so you get to sleep in. You're at home with your wife and your four young children. You're jolted awake when you hear a crashing sound from the front of your house. Someone kicked in your front door. You keep a shotgun in the corner. You grab your gun and walk toward the front of the house. A stranger is standing in your house and walks toward you. You shoot him once. Now he turns around. You stop shooting. Your wife grabs the children and calls police. The intruder was a felon who served time for robbery. Elizabeth, this story sounds really scary, but is it that unusual? Well, Rob, people are attacked at home or in their businesses or out and about every day. It can happen anywhere. We feel safest when we're at home. There's a real violation if somebody is breaking into your house. You talk about this with your students. What's the first thing we should do to defend ourselves? The only way I can ever really keep my students safe is to help them to avoid this situation from the beginning. If we never have a violent encounter, we're going to be safe. I work with my students to develop a plan and to make their homes or their businesses or their automobiles a harder target. Bad guys are always looking for the easy in. And if you can make your home a harder target with lights, with better door locks, with parking your car in your garage, you're going to avoid a bad situation right from the get-go. You're a firearms instructor, but you didn't say the first thing to do was get a gun. You said the first thing to do is have a plan. The gun is just a tool in your toolbox. Any carpenter could have five toolboxes full of tools, but if they don't have the skills to actually do the job, the tools don't mean anything. And it's their education and their skill that makes the tools work. When I work with my students about defending their home or their family and protecting their safety, it starts with the plan. It starts with thinking through possibilities, thinking through scenarios, and then selecting the right tool. In some cases, the tool might just be your cell phone, just to call for help. In some cases, it is your firearm. But again, as the carpenter, they want to have all the tools that they could possibly need. 
And part of that plan is knowing when to use which tool. In this situation, what should happen first? In this situation, my first priority would be to keep the kids safe. Mm -hmm. The father grabbed the firearm and the mother grabbed her cell phone and went to get between the attackers and the kids. By planning out a scenario and saying, if this happens, I will do this, you will do this, they knew where to go and what to do. They weren't making poor decisions. They could go on automatic pilot and rely on their training. I could be sitting there dialing 911 when I needed to grab a gun and go, or vice versa. I always tell my students the first priority is to keep themselves and their family safe, then call for help. The police in my area could take 20 minutes to get here. This whole intruder breaking into the home, I don't think it took 20 seconds. This event didn't last very long, but it sounds like there were at least two communications with the police before shots were fired and then after. There were two people there. I can't imagine being on the phone and having a firearm in my hand at the same time. You probably have to take care of those problems one at a time. (laughs) One at a time. I'm sure you get this question from your students. What do you recommend that people use for home defense? This is a never-ending debate among instructors, among the public, among the media. And I tell my students to start with what they're comfortable with and what they're good with. If they are very skilled and have practiced with a revolver, then that's what they should have. If they are skilled with a shotgun, then that's what they should have. They should use the tool that they're the most comfortable with, that they're the most competent with. It starts in your heart and it starts in your head. Uh, The gun is the tool. So choosing the firearm is not the most important part. I would rather have a student spend $200 on a firearm and $800 on training than spend $800 on a firearm and $200 on training. The training is the more important characteristic. This was a couple, and often the guy feels the need to protect the family. But there are big parts of the day when he's not at home. We're seeing more stay-at-home moms, single women, who say, I need to protect myself and my family. So what do you tell them? I said, find a firearm that fits your hand. I could help you with that. And let's practice. Let's talk about it. Let's work with your children. Let's look at different possibilities for accessing your firearm. Uh, Many of my students are women. And I even talk to women who think I would never use a firearm. And then they have a baby and their whole paradigm shifts that they will do whatever it takes to protect their children. And they come and they take a class and they take another class and they become very proficient. That sounds so familiar. I had a lady who said, I'd never be violent. And I said, so you just stand back while someone would hurt your kids? The people you say you love? She goes, oh, I'd never stand still for that. Okay, what would you do? I was suddenly talking to a completely different person. It changes everything. I've had students tell me, well, I would only shoot someone if they were trying to kill me. And I go, well, exactly. That's when you use your firearm. If somebody's going to the hospital or the morgue, you don't use it if somebody's on your lawn. If they're stealing your newspaper, it's the wrong tool. It's the wrong tool. And it's the tool of last resort. So you're asking your students to think about this ahead of time. You give your students homework. 
they're with me for eight hours. Could you imagine being with a swimming instructor for eight hours and saying, okay, now you can swim the English Channel? Television gives us the image that you pick up the gun and you're an excellent shot and nothing goes wrong. In real life, there's more to it than what people imagine as well. Part of the homework is that I've been invited into people's homes to evaluate their situation and help them develop a cogent plan if someone were to break in through the back door or the front door or come in through the garage to understand that these are the weaknesses in your home and this is what you could do to make your home a harder target. There are all kinds of stresses as we go through the day. What do you tell your students to do now that they're armed? Once they're armed, they have to be more calm, more together, more polite. Uh, It's very important that they manage situations so they don't need to use their firearm. My students aren't allowed to lose their temper. You want to maintain your innocence. Somebody pushes them. Somebody shoves them. It's okay to say, okay, thanks, bye, and leave, de-escalate. Well, if you lose that innocence, you lose your right of self-defense. When you take that firearm, you have to protect yourself, not only physically, but legally. That's a lot to learn, and I don't think you can learn it all in one day. There is a lot to learn. Not only the basic mechanics of using your firearm, but the habits, the safe habits that you'll incorporate into your life. Incorporating the plan into your life. There's always another class. Keep learning. Take advantage of uh, some of the shooting clubs in your town. It just takes practice. And cut yourself some slack. Take the time. Invest in your training. That practice takes time, but we're out of time right now. That wraps up this episode. Elizabeth Houtman, thank you for helping me again. Where can we learn more about you? I teach in the Black Forest of Colorado Springs at my private range. And students can contact me at Colorado Boots Firearms Instruction. We share this podcast with you for free. All we ask is that you share the podcast with a friend and give us a rating on iTunes and Stitcher. We're also available on Google Play Music and Spotify. I'm Rob Morse. We'll be back next week with more Self-Defense Gun Stories. Well, holy cow, what an interesting show, didn't you think, Dan? Where does he get all that information? Well, I think we both reach out to, you know, a lot of the same kinds of local media because those stories aren't found on the network news. But um, And Rob has a way to just make it really sound good. He does, and his guests all being experts. And, and I just loved all the shows we played today. I think it gives people an idea of how much information is out there, so many different styles and flavors, something for everyone. Um, but sadly... It is time to wrap up, and we didn't even get to do a Dan's commentary. Um. Um, But I do want to take time to thank our tech crew, our listeners, and our guests. What we do here, we couldn't do without our guests taking their time and coming on and sharing their expertise with us. And it wouldn't really matter without our listeners because they take the message forward around their dinner tables and their carpools and We just really appreciate you. Your time is your most valuable commodity, and and just know that you are appreciated. Well, until next time, Dan, pray for our nation.
pray for our leaders. All of them? All of them, Dan. Even after this hearing thing that we heard last week? <laughs> yes, especially maybe after this hearing thing that All we right. heard last week with the Kavanaugh hearings. Uh, uh, be good to each other. Have a great week and God bless.